Welcome back to another episode of Millennial Entrepreneur. My name's Sina and I love following the journeys of other young entrepreneurs. And this episode is a real special one. I spoke with Jessica Watch, Forbes 1330 winner and the CEO and co-founder of Kimai, a startup focusing on creating lab-grown diamonds to evolve the unethical nature of the existing mining industry. It's an awful industry that's existed for so many centuries and with these lab-grown diamonds, they're really, really innovating in that space. And so we cover the problems that exist in the existing mining industries that have existed for centuries and how Jess started a lab-grown diamonds company. And also how after only two months of bootstrapping, listen to this, Jess got one of her pieces worn by royalty, our very own Meghan Markle. And of course, we talk about how that whole process came about and also, of course, the crazy impact of this on Kimai's growth, revenues, and also the fundraising that they inevitably did, raising $1.2 million. And the scale of that impact, of course, is phenomenal. So please be sure to stay tuned for that. It's, It's a really amazing story. Now, before I jump into the episode, I want to tell you guys about a really exciting opportunity that I am getting involved with myself, with my business wing. Now, every week I get a message from at least one person, one entrepreneur with, you know, asking for advice, asking for opportunities that they can basically skyrocket their business. And, you know, as a business owner myself, I'm searching for these opportunities all the time. And I've come across one that I would love to share with you guys called The Pitch. It's a competition that supported so many young founders with advice, support and network as well that you can really take uh, to take your business to the next level. And it's got free one-on-one coaching sessions with investors as well, which is amazing. And I think from all these benefits, I'll be definitely applying to it. And so for the next following weeks, I'm going to basically be walking you guys through the application process with tips, advice, links to some resources to basically give you guys the best chance possible to win this competition. Because ultimately, you can get the chance to pitch some seed investors, get coaching and mentorship from some industry-leading you know, game changers, and also meet some amazing founders as well. You know, this podcast, I created it to meet other amazing founders. And so applying for this competition can really help you do that as well. It's It's been so valuable for me. And so applying to this competition uh, will also be a substitute for that. It will massively benefit you as well, I'm sure. it's You're only as strong as your network. So that's a massive benefit to that. They've got a proven track record of doing it as well. Hundreds of startups that have applied through them have raised investment over the last decade. And so this year they're running it again. I'm definitely applying and I hope that you guys do too. Uh, The deadline is at the end of July, but for the following few weeks, I will be helping you guys uh, with all the application stuff. So I'll be linking resources, all that stuff. And all all the links will be in the description right now as well, actually, if you want to get ahead of the game. So yeah, that is it from me and the pitch and I hope that you do apply and yeah, I hope you enjoy the episode. Hey Jess, how are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. No, it's my absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast. I've been waiting a long time to have you on and you're in an industry that's extremely interesting for me and I know I say this every time on the podcast, but it really does kind of surprise me every time I get a new guest on from a completely new industry. And it's so amazing to see, you know, young people doing some amazing things in some industries that I wouldn't even think we would be covering on this podcast. And obviously today it's all about lab grown diamonds and, 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 you know, jewelry and all that stuff, which is, which is so cool for me to, to, to explore. No, definitely. I think even for us, like before starting, uh, and when we launched, like most people never heard about it. I think it's a very traditional industry that hasn't seen much change and that hasn't really spoken to our generation so we're here to try and 
and make it more approachable and more interesting to us as customers. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the thing is, with a lot of the sort of industries that we cover on this podcast, it is heavily, you know, technology, software, that sort of thing. And, you know, these are industries that have only really existed for the past sort of 20, 30 years at the most. Whereas the mining industry is probably one of the oldest industries, you know, in the world, right? So, and it, and as a whole, it hasn't really been changed. It's kind of remained the same for, for centuries. And I mean, you're probably the best person to talk to because that's kind of where your family came from, right? Yeah, definitely. So um, I launched Kimai with uh, my childhood best friend, Sydney, and we actually both uh, grew up in Belgium to diamond trading families. So we've always been around diamonds and jewelry our entire lives. And we felt that with the years, we moved to London when we turned 18 to study over here. And it's at that point that we personally became more and more conscious of our impact and more conscious of our purchasing decision. But we definitely see it as a generational switch. We were seeing and looking for newer brands doing things with more transparency in their supply chain, more traceability uh, in it. Uh, and looking at the diamond industry and fine jewelry industry was really, really hard to find any simple answer to our question about the origin of the stone to really understand how many people were involved uh, before a diamond gets to its final owner. Um, and of course, with all the controversies in the industry from blood diamond to child labor, we just felt that our generation was evolving, but the industry never really evolved with us and never really tried to do things in a different way. Uh, in order to have a smaller impact on our people uh, and the planet. Mm, that's really interesting. So I guess the motivation behind starting Kimai was all around sort of the negative aspects of that mining industry. Obviously, diamonds, you know, that, that's huge. So yeah, is that where the motivation came from? Yeah, definitely. So we've, as I said, like grow, grew up around diamonds and jewelry and we really value it a lot because like you, jewelry is something that is timeless. You can carry it on from one generation to another, it carries a lot of memories, a lot of, um, yeah, basically a very sentimental value to it rather than uh, than what people see. Like the value that we see in fine jewelry is really like the memory that we, you, you can you can have a piece of jewelry that was your grandma. You can have, you can buy a piece of jewelry for yourself uh, to celebrate a special moment. Is it a new job? Is it graduation? So it's really like represent different moments in time. So we really, really valued that industry, but just felt that like the way things were done wasn't right anymore, at least. And really trying to figure out how can we give the same emotional value, but have a smaller impact. And how can we make that industry uh, much more approachable in the way they talk to their customers as well? Because if you look at the diamond and fine jewelry industry, it often was targeted to men and always about uh, the men having to purchase it for a woman, while today women are much more independent purchasing for themselves. And for us, it was really important to find a brand that, was, that wasn't intimidating as a woman uh, to purchase their own pieces. Mm, that's so interesting. And like, I think we'll talk about that a bit later. But as for starting the business, obviously that problem exists where you, you analyzed it you know, firsthand, or obviously from the experience. Um, but I mean, that, that's the problem, right? And then how did you kind of come up with that solution of, of the lab-grown diamonds? Because obviously there's different ways you could have maybe approached this. You know, there, there's a startup out there called, oh, I can't remember their names, but they use artificial intelligence to basically track the different mm. supply chains. Uh, and basically, you know, from there, it's a lot more transparent when it comes to uh, purchasing decisions, right? So 
oh sorry blockchain not not artificial intelligence so for you as a business how did you kind of want to tackle that problem of trying to find ethical diamonds ethical jewelry and that sort of thing I think we're lucky enough that we grew up in that industry, meaning that like we could ask the questions we had to people that are at the forefront of it and really understand the industry inside out. I do think that there are different ways of going about it um, in terms of, as you said, blockchain, etc. But often there's many, uh, many loopholes. So we just felt that not only from a sustainability perspective, but even from a modern and innovation perspective the labyrinth diamond aspect really spoke to us because firstly we're able to get the exact same stones uh at a much smaller impact uh on our planet and again as i said on our on the people living and working in those mines uh but secondly like it's a new innovation a new way of doing things today uh we eat labyrinth lab labyrinth meat um we wear uh yeah there's many all kind of like innovation enabling us to do things in the exact same way but in a more transparent and sustainable way and we just felt that the lab green diamond aspect really spoke to us on those two aspects so like transparency but also innovation um and the first time we heard about those diamonds was really as i said like talking to the right people in the industry and asking the right questions and that's how it yeah how it came to life. <laughs> so you got the you got the idea of trying to go down the lab grown diamond routes. What was the sort of like next step? Did you I don't know approach a lab? I, I don't know how the process works. So like how did how did you kind of go about that? So the goal of the brand was really okay. We we decided to take to use lab grown diamonds, but it was really for us important to really know who we were working with, not just using those lab grown diamond as a marketing tool. So like doing our research on the lab grown side of it took a lot of time. So like talking to different labs, understanding what kind of energy they're using, understanding where they're manufacturing their diamonds, uh, what's the water usage, the carbon emission, etc. Um, and again, I think being in that industry enabled us to kind of have access to those people quite easily. But then it was really about like visiting the places and really having close relationship with them because um, the main yeah the main point for us is not just about using that marketing tool but really making sure it's backed um, and then in terms of uh, jewelry our goal was really not to trade off on quality or design and really keeping that European savoir-faire uh, that we have in Antwerp for the manufacturing side of it which enables us as well to again have control over the supply chain like working with the lab closely we know where those diamonds are made. We know who made them. Manufacturing in Antwerp enables us to know each person in the in our yeah in our supply chain and really being able to visit them daily, making sure that the working environments are fair. And then from a design perspective, our goal wasn't to launch with a collection of thousands of designs, but really rather a small collection with more thoughtful designs to start with that are kind of your jewelry essentials. And then we do new, um, we launch new products, new designs every month. So I think those were the, the most important aspect before launching the brand, but we launched super bootstrapped, meaning like we, have, we didn't fundraise, we put less than $5,000 each into the business to make one piece of each design. We're lucky enough that we didn't have to commit to any inventory. So we were able to like design pieces, produce them and just like, manufacture when we sell uh, pieces with like a quick turnaround. 
And so we didn't have a branding in place for us. It was really like, we want to test the market, test the product market fit. Because again, back then, most people didn't hear about Lab Grand Diamond. So the challenge wasn't just about like launching a nice brand. It's also about educating customers, but also about like changing, changing an entire industry mindset, an industry that has been doing things and selling things in the exact same way for, for years. So we, for our goal was really to try and see how people reacted because uh, we were one of the first brands to really launch with those diamonds. So uh, we wanted to get the data out of it. Um, and yeah, and bootstrap to get the word out there without an amazing branding in place then because you couldn't afford it. So it was really a lot of bootstrap. Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, that's just like with a lot of startups, obviously, like you have to bootstrap. Like I, I started Wing with very little money as well, the same thing. And obviously it's not the same scale as diamonds because like they're yeah. obviously way more expensive than then like chips, a bit of software and, and whatever. But what's really interesting about what you just said, and I think it does go along with a lot of sort of very new innovations with industries that have been around for a long time is that you said something very special there where it was like, you have to sort of convince the customer in, in, in a way, educate them. And, it, and this kind of process comes about in a lot of different areas. So obviously you mentioned lab-grown meats and another thing is like lab-grown leather as well as another big one at the moment. So it's like, when when there's industries that and products that have existed for si literally centuries and it's become I guess part of our culture in a, in certain ways, how would, how do you go about you know with a with a with a new innovation? Obviously, it's very close to the actual thing, but how does that process happen? How do you educate the customer with these new innovations that are way more sustainable than what's already existing? I think the main thing is like not convince, not trying to convince them, but rather educating them. Uh, because it's really about giving them the information that we have available, that we've researched, that we know of. And then it's up to them to make their choice, for sure. Like, we're not here uh, to force people to buy into Lab Grand Diamond. But I felt that what we've seen is as soon as people get the information, they're able to make a better decision in terms of purchase. And I think the main issue in that industry, and I guess in many industries, is that most people, there's a lot of misinformation and lack of information, which means that most people just didn't have access to, to, the, to, to that, that side of the market. They buy into something without asking too many questions. So having access to, to, that, yeah, to that information is key, but also uh, what we're seeing is like customers are evolving and are becoming more and more conscious and are looking for those alternatives. So I often say like we're the generation that grew up not being conscious, I would say, and like educating our step, ourselves step by step, while the younger generations grew up like super conscious of their impact. And it's really, really key to them. So it's having a mix of both. There are those super conscious customers that are really looking for it. And there's that more like upcoming customers that are asking the right questions. And I think the main thing for us, it's not about, we don't, I think the word sustainable is a very hard word to use just because like it's been used in marketing a lot lately and you never know what it really means. And we as a brand, we don't claim that we are a hundred percent sustainable brand. And I think it's really tough to be a hundred percent sustainable brand because you're still creating a product and it's with, and we can dig into it, but like with many aspects, like it's just hard to 
have like sustainable packaging to make sure like everything's like renewable energy, etc. So it's what we try to tell our customers that it's all about like taking a step towards being more sustainable rather than being all in or all out. And that's also how we are as people and customer, my co-founder, myself, our team, uh, we're really about being conscious rather than being completely, completely uh, at the extreme. Jessno co-founder were bootstrapping for ages and obviously with a new innovation in an existing industry, it's really important for them to validate whether, you know, consumers will actually, you know, buy it. And so I wanted to kind of get get to know when was that point in her mind where it really validated, when was that click where she kind of thought, yeah, this is going to lead on to something, this will grow, this is scalable. I wanted to know when that point was. So, uh, so as I said, we started with very little funding and in order to get the word out there, we couldn't afford marketing, meaning like we couldn't, if we were like, even back then doing a gifting, gifting one influencer was a big cost for us. Cause like we have a, a certain price point, which means that like gifting people cost a lot. And, um, and the main thing that really brought some change to the business is that we started with friends and family. And uh, we were looking for like women to wear our pieces that represent the piece as well uh, and the value of the brand and the mission. And then we saw Meghan Markle as the perfect fit for this. In terms of sustainability, she wears a lot of more ethical brands. Uh, She's all about modernizing a very traditional world. Um, So we saw her as the perfect as the dream fit for the brand, but we never thought we could access her. Um, and what we've done is basically looking into her clothes network, looking at people that are less mediatized than she is and figuring out how can we get their emails? Wh- how can we reach out to them? So like a lot of cold emails and actually it got through. So like, I'm a big, big believer of cold emails. That's all we do. <laughs> and that's basically with a few cold emails, we got Meghan Markle to wear our pieces two months after our launch, uh, which was, which, yeah, which really accelerated not only the brand's visibility and credibility, but also the industry visibility and credibility. Because again, very new industry, looking up online back then, very little information available. Most people never heard about those diamonds before. Having the a royalty wearing Labyrinth diamond for the first time really, really picked up. So like there was a lot of press coverage on the topic. And it's also a very controversial kind of topic where like you have those big diamond players uh, that are kind of against the Labyrinth diamond industry. So it, it was a very interesting time. <laughs> But I think it's definitely at that point that we're like, we were still in our full-time job and <laughs> and just trying to make it work. And it's really at that time that things picked up like crazy and that we really understood that there was a huge demand for it and that it it wasn't served yet. Yeah. Yeah. To, and when we launched only with fine jewelry. So like we started with fine jewelry, but today... We have our engagement ring category that we launched six months ago. And actually, I think that's a second point where we really realized something's happening because we thought, okay, so when it worked, fine jewelry, 
is what people are looking for. It's pieces between 200 to $800. But we never thought that engagement ring would happen that quickly in terms of Black Brand Diamond. Because again, it's all about education. It's all about the mindset as well. Uh, but actually, the industry has moved much faster than expected, where like people are more and more conscious and there's much more um, awareness around Lab Grand Diamond. And the fact that we've launched it really wanting to try it out. Uh, we got a few demand for it before and it's becoming like a big portion of our business. So we think like if people are getting into Lab Grand Diamond with uh, Lab Grand Diamond engagement ring, uh, there is definitely something happening on that market. How did you even get to her though? I'm trying to imagine like which email, who needs to know who for you to get to that stage? I don't understand. I don't, I, I don't know. <laughs> we never thought it would happen. It was so funny because I, I was talking to a friend that day that I sent those emails and, and he told me like, you're losing your time, like focus on your business. And I'm like, oh God, like it works out. So it's just about like, I, I send like 10, and like tens of thousands of emails and then you don't get an answer each time but when you do sometimes it works out so i guess it's luck and hustling and figuring out how to get in touch with those people um and finding emails is an easy one you can find kind of emails everywhere online what did that sort of mean for your business like i guess that was a turning point for you kind of the before and after point so in terms of like growth, sales, like investment even, what did that kind of mean for you as a business? So uh, as I said, we started with friends and family. So our sales were little just really to, for people to support it, people love the designs, et cetera. And having Meghan Markle to wear it, I think we had like hundreds of articles in like less than three days uh, and sales completely picked it up. So we grew to like, hundreds of thousands of dollars in like a few weeks without uh, without having spent anything on marketing um so yeah so it was crazy what happened like we still can't believe it and i think that really enabled us to prove our concept further and as you said like we fundraised afterwards and i think the fact that we were able to bootstrap and prove that there is demand for the product without having spent anything on marketing was super, super powerful for investors. And that's how we were able to fundraise just like four months later, approximately. So the, the business is only like a few months old, realistically, and you already raised, what is it like a million dollars? Yeah, so we raised $1.2 million, um, approximately like a bit less than a year after launch. And I guess like Mega Mark was obviously so instrumental in that launch. Like I, I'm guessing you never actually met her, but if you did meet her, what would, would you, would you, what would you say to her? <laughs> That's a good question. No, we're super, I think like, yeah, we're super thankful. Like it's amazing. I think she's been wearing a lot of small brands and supporting a lot of female founded brands, which has impacted our brand, but we're not the only one. So we know other brands as well that have been well impacted by her wearing pieces. Um, so yeah, we're really, really grateful. <laughs> Another thing that I wanted to get onto, and obviously you mentioned it earlier in the podcast, was around sort of the industry being very male dominated and brands that have created sort of diamond brands that are, that are targeted towards, you know, men. And it must be kind of a very unique position that you're in being a female led diamond brand now. Um, 
what's been kind of like the reception of that what's has there been any backlash off the back of that what's what's it been like i think we, like as a brand we don't focus ourselves on like the diamond industry like when we compare ourselves or look at like competitor we don't look at like the traditional players uh we we compare ourselves much more to like a startup trying to do things differently trying to do things in a more conscious way um but definitely like as i said before like the diamond industry has been basically dominated by one or two players who put a lot of pressure on the labyrinth diamond side of it because they're kind of firstly they've always controlled the entire industry so they want to take a stake at it but they're also kind of like scared what's on what's happening because we talk to a lot of customers and we see that those brands aren't appealing to uh our customers anymore so for them, there's some work, some work to be done in terms of traceability and the way they talk to their customers. But at the same time, in the meantime, what we've had is, I don't think it's from a female male perspective, but rather from, uh, they have a lot of money. <laughs> they have yeah, a lot of money yeah. as an industry to like sponsor magazines, to pressure brands, to pay for influencers with some more traditional po messages. politics as yeah. well right like there's, there's a lot of politics involved in stuff exactly. like this when there's a lot of money on the table exactly so we have spoken to journalists in the past who told us we can't write about you just because we have like those big sponsors and i think like for us wow. it makes us laugh because like it's more it's even more exciting like something's really there's something big happening and they're even scared of it so yeah and we're focusing on our own on what we're doing rather than like looking at what they're doing um and yeah let's see how it evolves but yeah we're not in a kind of we're not competing with them like i'm not trying to um yeah to be against or against them i think like they have a lot of work to do they've created nice brands but the industry needs to evolve Mm. where do you kind of see the future of the industry then because obviously like lab grown diamonds are booming at the moment and like you're obviously a player in that market. Where do you kind of see yourselves placed in that growing and sort of evolving industry? Yeah, I think if you look at the top, uh, yeah, the top of the market with all those new Bond Street brands, like people will continue buying into them because you're, buy you're buying into a brand. But when we look at like fine jewelry in general, like the pieces we spoke about that we're offering that are between 200 to $2,000, uh, we do think it's going to switch almost completely to lab brand diamonds for engagement ring. I think it's going to take a longer time, but, um, we see it as well evolving that way. I think where the traditional industry will have uh, its place is really in the more, the, the, the bigger stones and the colored stones. So how we position ourselves is really, we're in between those new bond street jewelers and those more, a high street jewelers offering the quality you'll find at those new bond street jewelers, but at a more approachable price and really being with our customer for a lifetime. So we started with fine jewelry. We've introduced engagement ring, which enables us to like, yeah, continue the journey with our customer and kind of like offering that personalization where like we get on calls with customers, we do zoom calls. We we're here to guide them if they have, any request on bespoke pieces uh, and really creating that very special bond and relationship with them where we know we know our customer personally and are able to guide them through their purchases. 
And very quickly before we wrap up the podcast, it's been amazing having you on, Jess, by the way. I'd love to know like very, very briefly about, I guess, the process of lab-grown diamonds. I know we've spoken a lot about the business as a whole, but the actual like physics and the actual process, like how does it work? Because I saw solar is involved in some stage. So basically, um, I think firstly, it's important to note that like a diamond is made 100% out of carbon. So there is nothing else in a diamond than carbon. And actually, it grows under Earth in a high pressure and high temperature environment. Uh, and we're actually able to reproduce that environment today in a lab, meaning it's uh, high pressure, high temperature, and it starts with a carbon seed. And in a few weeks, it grows into a diamond. And the, the number of weeks to grow it depends on like the size, uh, et cetera. But those diamonds are chemically and physically identical, which means that they all have their own inclusion. They all have their own imperfections like a mine diamond would have. And also like all the big labs that are cert- like certifying mine diamonds are today certifying lab grown diamonds in the exact same way based on the exact same rule. Uh, really showing that today a lab grown diamond is basically the same result but different environment and I think a great comparison of it is for example if you put water in an iceberg and water in a fridge you'll get the same result but you're just able to do it in a different environment that's brilliant yeah that's I think that's a really good good way to finish actually so Jess thank you so much for coming on the podcast it was such a pleasure having you on talk about all, all the things you know lab grown diamonds it's something that we've never spoken about even even close on the podcast before so thank you so much for coming on um how can people stay in touch with you and kimai in the future thank you so so much for having me it was a real pleasure and always happy to chat about lab grown diamonds um to stay in touch uh, our instagram account is kimai.co and our website is kimai.com uh, and of course, if you have any questions, feel free to message me as well directly um, through LinkedIn or through Instagram. Cool. Thank you so much, Jess. And I'm sure we'll speak soon. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Talk to you soon. Thank you so much for staying to the very end of the episode. It means so much that you've done so. If you did enjoy, please be sure to leave a five-star written review on Apple Podcasts. And as a way of saying thank you, I'll give you a shout out in the next episode. It might not be in the next episode, actually, because I'm doing, I want to basically help some people with applying to this competition, the pitch uh, that I'm applying for myself with Wing. So you will get a shout out, I promise you, maybe not next week or the week after or like this month, because I basically want to help people to apply to this competition but you will get one eventually. I do give you my absolute words. We've got some amazing guests lined up, so please do follow us on Instagram because that's where the new episodes get announced along with all the previews and because you don't want to miss any of it as well. You can just subscribe to it on um, Apple Podcasts and Spotify to not miss it as well. Thanks so much for listening and I'll catch you in the next episode.